Hey, onesies, Josh Williams here with another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast for you. This uh, episode, my guest is Bob Bloomer, Chef Bob Bloomer, TV personality, but celebrity chef Bob Bloomer. Uh, he's actually just a super cool dude, guys. Uh, he was uh, the host of three different shows on the Food Network, uh, The Surreal Gourmet, Glutton for Punishment, and World's Weirdest Restaurants. Uh, he's got a new book out called Flavor Bomb, which is uh, absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I read it, uh, in the, the few days I had it, uh, before, uh, before our interview and I, I was really, really loving it. Uh, and we talk a lot about that in this episode. We have a, a fun chat. I uh, gotta be honest with you. I was a little intimidated, uh, only because of just his accolades and his accomplishments and kind of one of the bigger guests that I've had on the show. Um, so I was kind of like nerding out a little bit at the beginning. Um, we did do it via FaceTime. Um, so there's a couple of times during the interview well, that you'll hear the little, the little gap. Um, sometimes that little, you know, like garble, it, nothing that he said was lost. Luckily, it's not like, you know, we lost him for a few seconds, things. Like, so everything works out, but there's, I would say realistically five or six times throughout the entire episode where you'll hear a little bit of a garble. Uh, but you understand everything he's saying. You never, you never lose anything. Um, there's even a couple of times where it's cool because him and I were chatting. So it was face to face, uh, on FaceTime, but, uh, there's little times where you can just see him sort of lean back and kind of like thinking about something reminiscent. So you guys might hear little gaps, but, uh, it was super cool because you could tell he was like really wicked into like what he was talking about. He was so easy to talk to. He was fun, uh, had tons of great information and, uh, we could, you know, I, I, I even mentioned during the podcast that there was so much more I could have asked him and, um, you know, and we've discussed the possibilities of him coming back and, and, uh, you know, doing some guest spots again in the future. So it was tons of fun. I had an absolute, uh, absolute blast, you know, doing it. Um, there's also his phone, his phone goes off too a couple of times during the interview, which was great because it's not just me that does it. See guys, even somebody with, you know, crazy levels of success and accomplishments, uh, can still have their phone go off in the middle of an interview. So <laughs> it's really funny, but, um, I had a great chat with him. Uh, you guys can follow, uh, follow Bob. He's at Bob Bloomer on Instagram and, uh, and he's got, like I said, his, his books out called flavor bomb. I loved it. If you're a, a would be cook or an aspiring cook, you want to get better, uh, great book for it. It's not just a recipe book. Uh, it's, it's got all sorts of stuff, but we talk about different things in the book. We tell all sorts of different stories and stuff like that. So, um, I had a great chat. I'm very honored that he was uh, interested in doing uh, the one man podcast. And, uh, all I can say is, is big thank you. And I hope that you guys enjoy, uh, the episode. Hey, this is Bob Bloomer. You know, that guy from the food network with the funny hair and you're listening to the one and the only one man podcast. Yeah. Don't ever look to me for pronunciation. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading the book and you were using, uh, several, several words that I'm like, okay, I've heard this, but judiciously, I believe is one that's, that's in there Uh a reasonable amount. And then you used surreptitiously, I believe. Is it surreptitiously? (laughs) You know what? I'm not really much of a language guy, but I have a few, a few words that I use. Fortuitously is another one. Ah. I guess there's all the, all the Lee words, judiciously, <laughs> surreptitiously, fortuitously. I never even thought of that. I had to read, I believe, surreptitiously a few times and I go, oh, that's what I go. That's how that's spelled. Cause I've never put pen to, I've said it, <laughs> but I've never put pen to paper with it. And that is juxtaposition is in there as one or juxtaposition. Oh, that's, 
Well, that's one of my favorite ones because that's the de- the definition of surrealism is natural objects in unnatural juxtapositions. So <clears throat> things you'd expect or you're accustomed to seeing, but not in the combinations that you're seeing them in. Yeah. I, I, I read the book. I, I did it like homework cause I just received it recently and I, I've absolutely. So the book that we're talking about for my listeners here is, is Bob Bloomer, my guest today. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, your, your new book, flavor bomb, the, uh, a rogue guide to making everything taste better. And I've also been like sort of refreshing myself with, with your body of work. So again, all of that has been said already. My listeners have heard that in the opening, but you've got an incredible body of work. So entertaining. If I could just say that as well, not only is it, is it, is it, you know, informational, I'm going to kiss your ass a little bit. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to sit there and take just for a second, but you've had, you've had three amazing shows in the food network and fun, different concepts for each one of them, which is great. Um, and at the same time, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're entertaining guy. Cause I've seen a lot, I used to watch a lot of cooking shows and learned nothing from them. Like I got the information, but in terms of that, that mojo, I've had garbage kitchens my entire life. Like the kitchen that I have in my home right now is like a hallway. If you open the dishwasher, it hits the cabinets on the opposite side. So it's so small. I was, I was, we'll talk about all the cool sections in your book, but when you were talking about creating this kitchen space where you've got your setup location, everything, I'm like, yeah, we don't. Right. But you know, my space is tiny and it's not, it's not fancy. My oven that came with my house when I bought my house 31 years ago is older than I am. Like it's an old O'Keefe and Merritt gas stove. You got to wave your hand over the burners to get all the, you know, all, each part of the burner to light. Oh, really? And, yeah. So it's old, like it's old school. And um, I mean, even the food processor that I use, I think I had a fancy one on the toaster mobile back in the old days, but I, th- I must have given it away. So like I have one that part of the plastic is broken and I have a lot of stuff like that. Like Honestly, it's about the ingredients and what you do with them. It's not about the the cooking wear i mean there go all my endorsements but you know. <laughs> no I, well you had it in the book that was that's also on my list of things here i just think it's it's i i've always loved watching what you do and you've made it entertaining one of the questions that i wanted to ask and i felt about i felt like asking it later but i almost feel like asking the other questions will have already answered it so this is your seventh book that you've got out which is again incredible to have such a body of work so i want to ask this and this is from my own ignorance what what would you say is the difference between this book and your other books? What what are you bringing to the table with the new book? Um, well, my nom de plume has always been the surreal gourmet. It's a ga- it's a name I just gave myself because uh, in the beginning I illustrated my books with surreal illustrations, and then uh, over time I evolved into uh, presenting my dishes in a kind of surreal way. So imagine that I put a cupcake in front of you uh but it's your it's your entree and you're going like what the but the base of the cupcake is so it's like a chocolate cupcake with pink icing but the base of it is lamb it's roasted lamb shank that's been pulled off the bone mixed with a bunch of stuff baked in a cupcake tin uh and then the icing is actually mashed potatoes where i've taken a little bit of roasted beet red beet and grated it into the mashed potatoes so they turn pink and I use a piping bag as a baker would do to, to pipe uh, icing on top of a cupcake. So it looks exactly from your eye of the plate like a cupcake, but it's a savory entree. So because of all of that, I called myself the Surreal Gourmet. And that was up until recently my signature style. This book is really all about flavor. And it's all about 
Well, I've, for the last 30 years, I've eaten my way around the globe and I've learned tricks and hacks and techniques from just such a wide variety of uh, food communities, uh, ranging from street stall vendors, hawker stall vendors in Singapore, for example, to gumbo champions in Louisiana, to a lot of you know fancy chefs here in California, and even some Michelin star chefs in France. I've worked alongside them. I haven't worked for them, but I've mm. I've done things and uh, done dinners and stuff. And so I've taken everything that I've learned and all these tricks and all the everything that can help you up the ante on flavor. And that's what the first half of this book is all about. It's 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 kind of schooling. It's it's how to make everything taste better, regardless if it's my recipe from the second half of the book or someone else's recipe or just like your go-to Tuesday night dinner that you make all the time. But I, I I'm what I'm trying to do because beneath all the fun and games and humor and uh, you know perhaps artful presentation, if I may be so bold. Um, I'm all about serious flavors. So this book is really about how to coax big, bold flavors out of the same ingredients you're already buying at the grocery store. Yeah. And it's, I, I read, I, I have to say, I only glanced at some of the recipes, but I read the first half of the book and I like, <laughs> I just put it a ton of, so if my listeners have listened, I've got a big promo box coming. So I have tons of stuff coming for promo that we're working on right now, but everything that I was reading I'm like, oh, I got to get that. Like you're, you're talking about the knives <laughs> that rock back and forth. Like, like you, you got me excited about wanting to cook again. And I do have a question. I'll, I'll wait a little later on. Cause I'd love to get your take on this. Everybody and their uncle are doing these things right now. And I'd love to, to ask you about it. Sure. But, uh, the, the, uh, you even gave a shout out to, uh, to Lee Valley, which is where I live. I'm here in Ottawa. Oh, uh, and they've got, amazing. I want to go get the, I believe it was the, the, the plane. What was it called? The, the rasp. Yeah. Well, that's the original rasp was actually, uh, wood planer that the wife, the owner of Lee Valley Hardware discovered was really good for zesting uh, citrus. And and it didn't have a handle in those days. It actually was designed to fit into the bottom of a wood planer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you can still get the original version. Yeah. I was, I was going to try to see if I get there this morning before we, Oh yeah. <laughs> before that, we started. I'm, I, unless they're sold out for Christmas, I can promise you very likely. That they and, have them. and after this book and the, the podcasts come out, all the interviews that people be rushing <laughs> for them. But I just thought that was so cool that that was you, something. You, should, you know what would be super cool? And I would dial into this. You should, if, if she's still alive, because this happened about 30 years ago, um, you should interview her. That would be an amazing story. The wife of the owner. Absolutely. If Lee Valley Hardware still, if he still owns it and she's still alive. That would be an awesome story. Well, the amount of times, and not to turn this into a big Lee Valley promo, but the amount of times that just, and I've never set foot in that store. <laughs> I live in the city. I haven't avoided it. That's just, but the amount of times I've been talking to someone about something and then like, they'll present to me some like volcanic rock that does something in their garden or whatever. And then like, I'm like, what is this thing? I've never, oh, Lee Valley has. I'm like, oh, is that ever cool? Like that store <laughs> has such a solution for like the, the wow. most random thing, but the, I, it, it has constantly come up. And I think that this is what's finally going to get me to pull the trigger on that. But the reason I asked the question about uh, the difference in the book was that just someone like me, it's not that, you know, Hey, what are you doing new? It's, it's more, I can walk through a, you know, a bookstore and see a hundred cookbooks and I'll always see the same, you know, celebrity chefs with their books out and, and kind of thing. And I'll, I'll flip through it. And I'm like, okay, is it just a, a big recipe book? What I really liked about, about this book was that you took the time to really explain a lot of the subtleties. Like <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, you talk about like what happens when you oversalt. 
You know what I mean? Just as a small example and how to solve that because that happens all the time. I've never seen a cookbook that's, that says, Hey, here's how to fix mistakes that happen. It's just like, follow the recipe and that's it. There's no like, Hey, this is what happens when you've, when you've overdone it. Right. Well, you know, I mean, truthfully, I, I totally get your point and I, I feel the same way about most cookbooks that you see. Um, they really, they're just recipe books. And so for this book, I mean, First of all, I didn't set out to write this book the way I did. I set out to write a recipe book with a few ideas at the end or explanations about, you know, various kitchen tools that you might use to create these flavor bombs. And then at the end of the day, I, I wrote so much about just the the sort of how to that my editor said, you know, this really should be the first half of the book. And it really took over the book. And frankly, like it's if you don't even make a single recipe, it doesn't matter because the money in this book is that first 80 pages. It's the first, you know, it's the school in section. Oh yeah. It, it really lit. I mean, just personally, it lit a fire under my ass to start cooking more. Oh, just so nice to hear. So gratifying. Well, and, and just, but it was understanding the mistakes because some of it can be so overwhelming. Um, I'll save my listeners the trouble because I've talked about it, you know, uh, ad, ad nauseum at sometimes, but I'm a, I'm a big whiskey guy. And a lot of that is smelling and, and building pattern recognitions and being able to understand the differences between stuff and what goes with what. So reading all that in the books, it, it, like how you, how you laid it out, made it very easy to understand kind of like, oh, okay. So adding this to, to that can kind of, you know, uh, balance things that you refer to it brightness, adding some brightness at the end of, of meals and things like that. It's, it's a lot of information I'm trying to summarize in one sentence, which I'll not even be able to do so out of my wheelhouse, but I liked that I can look at a recipe and now I'll have a better understanding of why we're adding things. Like my, my ignorant caveman brain in the restaurant world was like, how do these guys come up with brie and pear? Like, why were those two things? But a, a chef friend of mine explained it to me that it's effectively, you're just kind of balancing, you know, sweets and salts and acids and things like that, that it's just, you're almost like grabbing from a color wheel where you're like on this side balances with this one kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. Also, you know, I mean, I basically, I've made all the mistakes that everybody made has, that everyone makes and I've made them on it everyone's behalf for the last 30 years and i've cut myself off and grated my knuckles to the bone and you know burned things and forgotten things and i've made every single mistake and so what i'm trying to do is channel all of that information into this book so that the reader doesn't make all those mistakes although making mistakes is also a good thing that's really how you learn you kind of I'm saying two things at the same time that are contradictory because a i've made all the mistakes and i'm trying to tell you how to avoid them mm -hmm. and then b and the very last page of the first section, is I have a page called Courage and Confidence, and it's really all about how to develop courage and confidence in the kitchen. And the way you do that is by doing everything I just said. You burn yourself, you cut yourself, you, you grate your knuckles to the bone, and then the next time, you're not so worried about it because you know what? It ain't so bad really after all. And if, it, if that's part of the process to getting to where you need to get to, then I think of it as a good thing. Absolutely. And at the same time, I mean, there's a certain extent of it's like trying to tell a teenager how to have a successful relationship. Like, it just, yeah, sure. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to make mistakes after mistakes. But I, I love that section. A friend of mine, uh, Mark, had made dinner for me a while back and he made these really nice potatoes. Um, but it was like something like a two day process to, to, to grate them and put them in the fridge and all this stuff. And when he served them, he's like, I may have put too much salt in. 
when we tasted them, it was like salt had manifested itself <laughs> in, in the texture and composition. Of the, like you could tell that the potatoes had a ton of work that went into them. All of the texture and everything was incredible. They tasted like nothing but salt. He could have, it would have been a godsend to, to have for him to have had this book and be like, Oh, there's ways to, to fix that. Before. Right. I'm sorry. But you know, you bring up another interesting topic, which is that so many books are, in fact, my wife and I had this, we have this joke. Um, I was thinking when the pandemic started, that it would be great to create a, a sort of fundraising cookbook mm-hmm. and would solicit recipes from all the big famous chefs. But it would be all those recipes that are needlessly or were considered in the past to be needlessly complicated. And uh, But during the pandemic, of course, we all have so much more time where we did in the beginning of it when we didn't know what to do. And uh, so I was going to call the book On Day Two. <laughs> so on day two, here's what you do. Um, but, but my, I take a completely different approach and I think, cause I've read some, uh, recently there's a couple of books that I've, uh, I've bought or been given or whatever. And, um, I'm not going to name any names, uh, because some of them share the same publisher that I have, but there are some recipes that are just insanely complicated or have too many steps, or there's like one basic step and thing that you do that that gets the recipe 90% of the way there. And then there's a million other things that take up an hour or two or three hours. And it's like, you know what, truthfully, like roast this celeriac, like a celeriac steak, uh, and roast it for two hours, which takes five minutes to prep and stays in the oven. And then just put a little miso butter on it and boom, like in 10 minutes of prep, this is what I had for dinner last night, which is why I'm thinking about it. (laughs) In 10 minutes of prep, you've got a delicious celeriac steak um which is great for vegetarians or carnivores or whatever but it's it this recipe oh it's not a real steak i've never it was never heard no 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 you just well it's basically taking you take a head of like a whole celeriac the celery root but not really celery but and you uh trim it and then you just cut it into like two big fat rounds uh like like oversized hockey pucks and you put them in the oven uh as i learned from this book for like at 350 for two hours and the flavors just condense and it gets really rich and luscious um, and a completely different sensation than when you, you can actually just grate celeriac raw and make a salad out of it, which the French love to do. And it's great. Um, But if you roast it, it gets kind of meaty, like a roasted uh, cauliflower steak, which is another thing you can sort of another vegetable you can turn into a steak. But the whole point point of this is the recipe from the book that I, that I have, was like you do that first, you create your steak, and then like there's a sauce that takes forever to make, which is a sauce. It wasn't that exciting to me from eyeballing it. Yeah. Um, but and so miso butter is basically you take a little, you take like four parts butter, one part miso, you know, butter at room temperature. You just mix the miso in, and you put that on on this on on the on the celeriac. You can put it on corn on the cob. It's fantastic. It's got a million uses. And it takes a second to make I th- and boom, you got dinner. Yeah. And I, I, I really, I'm glad that you brought this up because I mean, I think that's something that I can really, at least for myself, what I got out of it is I think what's really cool about your book is that what you're saying is there's, it gets to a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. Bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at some point, like, cause there's chefs that act like I've seen, and I've, I've watched tons of shows where they're like, Oh, you know, you're going to do this and you're watching them do all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not there to taste it. So I can't tell you if it's insane, but I mean, I've had $400 bottles of whiskey weren't worth the money. 
They weren't, they totally. weren't four times the hundred dollar bottle. So I, and I, and I think that a lot of the time, like I, I've, I noticed that just reading the book where you're saying, you know, yeah, you could do this or whatever. It's not necessary. And I think that that's really cool because, uh, I mean, I'm sure like in a lot of professions, there's sometimes a level of elitism where if you're not going completely top shelf on everything that you're just not creating the best that you can. And I, I think that, forgive me, but for lack of a better term, I think you kind of cut through the bullshit with the book. You're fair where you, you know, need to be fair. And you're right. It's, it's kind of, there's a bit of an emperor's new clothes and a bit of a, you got to do it the way people tell you to do it sometimes, but no, because you're right. Everyone wants bang for their buck and you want. You don't want to spend forever making dinner, but you want it to taste fantastic. But if it tastes 98% of as good as it could taste if you spent another three hours, but it only took you 20 minutes of active time, I'd say that's a worthy sacrifice. Absolutely. And I, I love that you had the guides for shopping too, which is something I haven't said. It's not to say that I'm the guy who's read every cookbook, but I, I really like that you had those guides in the book where you showed how to shop for like Parm, where you're not buying 30% rind on it because it's all by weight. So why buy the piece that's got all the the stuff you're not going to use or, or, or use less of, you know, same with the bacon, how to, how to buy. I mean, again, that one I I had a little bit better understanding of previous, but, but it's still helpful if you're somebody who kind of doesn't know their way around the kitchen or you're buying stuff. Like, yeah, this is something helpful to me to look for because when you're paying by weight, you don't want to be paying for, you know, fat or, or rind or rind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I thought, I thought that was great. I love the terms of service. I laughed literally (laughs) out loud when I saw it. So cool. But, but I mean, dude, from being a comic for years, like a ton of the times that I've done things like and and, and conversations, so people are like, man, I'm not, it's not even the content sometimes that I'm tuning in for. It's just the personality, like the dude, the brand. And I, I, I loved that there was jokes in the, the book. I love that there was that terms and conditions They're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Are you good with this? You good with that? You agree? All right. Turn the page. Like, now I, you can move on. Yeah. Turn the page. Yeah. Like, and if we're stuck for any reason. I, I was laughing to myself this morning. I was washing my coffee cup, getting ready for the interview. And uh, yeah, we're doing it. We're, we're just still doing good for time. Sorry. Keep it a look. Cause I got so much I want to ask you, but at the same time I'm having fun. Um, I was, uh, we was reading something about how with the salt we were talking about and you had the, in the instructions that uh, you know, to, to get rid of the saltiness, add more of the ingredients and then minus the salt. And I just, I always laugh that we're in such a time that you have to put that in there. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you just how you fix it. You just add more of the, the ingredients and then someone will add more. So well, you didn't tell me not to, I just figured that's how I was going to solve it. It's like, it's like somebody who's like, this drink's a little stiff. So they put more rum and Coke in it. <laughs> you know right. I mean? It's like, uh, there's other ways I just, I, but I love that. And that was, that's funny to me. I'm getting la- extra laughs out of that. So this is a question that I ask, um, all of my guests just because, I mean, like I've, I've known you as the surreal gourmet, you know, the glutton for punishment <laughs> and traveling to all the, the world's weirdest restaurants. But I ask all my guests, who were you before you were, you were the, the surreal gourmet. And then how did you get into that? Um, well, I, I was actually a rock manager. I managed an eclectic Canadian singer-songwriter who played Ottawa many times, still does, uh, by the name of Jane Sibbery. Um, And uh, I graduated from business school, became became a rock manager, and I I did that for 12 years. And somewhere in the midst of that, um, halfway through, my... And I'd always liked to cook, but I was just, you know, I was maybe slightly better than the average home cook, but only maybe and only just slightly. Uh, and my kid, but I lived, I, I had a knack 
for living well and living beyond my means, even if it was just, you know, marginally beyond my means. I'm not talking, you know, I'm talking about living in like a student apartment and, uh, you know, with furniture from my family still. Like that's the era that I was in, but I always could live slightly better than what I, you know, my means afforded me. And my kid sister moved into her first apartment uh, out of college and as a as a gift to her, I I cobbled together a little scrapbook and I put the first, you know the six recipes I knew how to make, and um, and then I added all these different tips for how to live well and live beyond your means and and you know and just like some really for her just some basic stuff like always keep a six pack in the fridge if some friends are going to come over stuff like that uh, how to trick people like those are the days when it was long distance phone calls were a dollar a minute so mm-hmm. how to sort of trick people to calling you back without them realizing that you tricked them into calling you back. Um, and and so I, I called it Bob's Bachelor Basics. It was just a little scrapbook, and that was my gift to my sister. And then one day I had this crazy idea to write a cookbook. And uh, actually, I was having dinner with a friend of mine, and she said she tasted something and said, you ought to write a cookbook. And, you know, there's a million harebrained schemes out there, but I thought, yeah. That's a great idea. Not knowing, of course, A, it's impossible to do when you have no experience in the food world, and B, you don't actually make money writing cookbooks anyway. But but I thought, yeah, I'm going to write a cookbook. So I took the concept of what I had done for my sister, and I kind of blew it up. And, uh, and then I couldn't afford a photographer to photograph the food for this book proposal, so I illustrated it with my own surreal illustrations inspired by my favorite surrealist, Salvador Dali and Rene Magritte. And because of the illustrations, I called myself the Surreal Gourmet. And I managed to trick a publisher into letting me come and show them the book, that being Chronicle Books, because I knew a friend of a friend of a friend of a cousin of an aunt. And, uh, and I somehow managed to trick them into, the, like they made me an offer for like a baby band kind of offer for the book. And uh, and then I locked myself up and wrote this book and sort of went deep and uh, and then the book came out and I was immediately reviewed by the New York Times and invited onto the Today Show and thus began my accidental career and <laughs> that's when I that's when I realized I better learn how to cook. That's amazing. Yeah. What a, that's a great story. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that. you know, anybody can follow that, right? Well, but, <laughs> follow, follow that path uh, but you know what like uh, i don't know this i just everybody who does this they got to get a little bit for for example i mean i love that with all your success you're still like i tricked somebody like we we look at it always like we fooled them we fooled them you know totally not that i am but we, we fooled what's them. the term what's the term for that um uh um artist <laughs> we're never <laughs> we're never yeah. confident in what we do no there's a it's a it's a fraud uh you feel you're always a fraud. Now, I'll come up with the, oh, the yeah. proper term for it. Yeah. Well, I and I reading the story about um, when you were when you were cooking for someone in Manhattan for the book, and you put the paring knife in the sink. I was like, ah, <laughs> like because I've 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 been there and I've seen it, and you're just like, really, really, like not. There's no overdraft for forgiveness at all. Like, yeah, I was just to fill your listeners in on that. I was. <laughs> Uh, I think I had written one or two books and I, I had a new agent and he set me up with uh, um, the editor of one of the big publishing companies that do fancy cookbooks. And 
that the guy was skeptical to begin with, but he invited me or so he invited me to his uh, apartment to cook a dinner and he invited some friends and I did this dinner and I was actually doing pretty well. I thought I was kind of impressing them. And then at the end of the meal, as I was cleaning up, I tossed a bunch of stuff into the sink, including like into a soapy, you know, sink full of hot water and soap, uh, including a paring knife. And then he just looked at me and he like shook his head. Like, cause, ne- cause needless to say, then someone else goes, puts their hand in the sink to get the dishes and yeah. slices their finger. Yeah. And uh, that there went my publishing deal for that publisher anyway i i mean the part the 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 comedian the the cynic in me is almost like sometimes those guys they're they've already made their mind up and they're just looking for the thing yeah perhaps i mean but at the same time like but i but i like that that was in the book and you're explaining you know like it's it's important to be careful enough a to care for them b i didn't even know uh what what edging was before i just seen them do it and i love that you called these TV chefs out, you're like, listen, when the cameras are on, they're going twice as fast as normal. Totally. Because I'm just watching them go, I'm like, I don't even know how to do, I've played with them when I had knife blocks before. Like I said, okay, I'll, I'll move on off of the, the praise for the humor, but as a comic and just relating information, it, it, it lubes it up for the, the person so well to be able to have a laugh while they're taking the information because they're going to remember it. When you said knife blocks are for newlyweds, again, out loud, out loud laughing. I was like, because it is, it's novelty. And people think if I'm not buying this or that, then I don't have everything I need. Well, it's those sets, right? It's like a set of 12 knives. Like you, you, you end up using three knives 99% of the time. And it's only newlyweds that get these knife blocks with 12 different knives, nine of which you'll never use. So yeah. like you may as well just spend the same amount of money on three knives and get three pretty respectable knives as opposed to getting the whole set that you're never going to use. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I, I personally have, like I said, I've been watching cooking shows for years. I've wanted to, to become a better cook. I did. Did your family have a, a, a were your parents good cooks? Um, you know, it's a funny story. Uh, I was a super fussy eater when I was a kid, like between the ages of 10 and 14, I lived on nothing but iceberg lettuce and tomato sandwiches on white toast with butter. That was it. And I used to make it myself. And, um, I thought my mother was a terrible cook. And then, you know, and then I found out after the fact, she was making all sorts of things that were years, light years ahead of her day. Um, like curries and stuff like that, that I don't know even where she learned about them. This is a long time ago when I was a child. And then she'd make, because I was such a fussy eater, I would go close to it. She'd make me shake and bake chicken. And so I thought that's pretty well all she could make. And then after she died, family friends sort of told me about some of the amazing dinners she cooked. And <laughs> I realized she was, but that didn't, it didn't really um, influence my, where I ended up being. I think where I ended up being was more of uh, in a place where I recognized that food is like art and you can combine things and create flavors and, and, also, you can use it as a way of elevating your quality of life. And so I just became a student of how to create flavor. Um, I, I might have been duplicating what my mother did, but it wasn't because I saw her do it. Well, that's good. That's inspiring. My my mom was not much of a cook, um, n- not for lack of effort, but just like when you said shake and bake, like that was my mom going top shelf. So like, <laughs> like her, her, her biggest kitchen tool was the microwave. So, so that's the, I actually had a, a, an ex-girlfriend at one point, she came over for like Christmas dinner and she was like, 
good natured, I guess, but just kind of like, oh, wow. Like my mom had like a, like a procession of bowls of canned vegetables waiting for their turn in the microwave, like, like a phone booth lineup. (laughs) And that's like, that's, that's the big one. That's the, uh, the Super Bowl, right? Is the, the holiday dinner or whatever. And it's like, nope, that's the, uh. We're getting all the vegetables warmed up. So I was concerned. the The question that I was getting at is, I was concerned that because I didn't, I didn't have a big, wide range of of stuff growing up, that there was a lot of things that I just a had never tried, b didn't like. So I I was always concerned. Well, if I want to get into cooking, there's a ton of things I don't like. I don't like mushrooms. I really don't like tomatoes. Uh, not a, not a big fan. I think it's the texture, but I wanted to ask you, this is something I've always wanted to ask a a chef is, are there foods that you don't like? I also hate mushrooms to the point where not only mushrooms, but the way you can ruin a meal for me is shave a hundred dollars worth of truffles over it. Mm. Like, you know, to everyone else, like getting truffles shaved over your pasta, your scrambled eggs or whatever is like, Oh my God, I'm in heaven. For me, it just ruined. Like it was great before, and now you've just ruined it. Yeah, um, I don't know why. It's the it's the taste, the smell, and the texture of mushrooms that I don't like. Uh, but you know, professionally, I've eaten all sorts of things from balut, which is a partially formed duck embryo in in the Philippines, to um, squirming uh, killer bee larva in Japan. I've eaten a lot of crazy shit, but. Uh, but when I'm shooting my shows and somebody hands me something that I wouldn't normally eat in real life, uh, I just turn around and imagine that there's a lineup of a hundred people behind me who all want my job. Right. Uh, and I go, Oh yeah, I'll eat that. Yeah. No, that's cause I was going to ask you, how do you, how do you plow through, you know, just mind over, like you must watch, you must've seen stuff like uh, fear factor and been like, just fucking eat it. <laughs> I can, I can um, see that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, as a go-to meal, I still like, you know, pancered fish on, on some nice greens. Like, you know, my, my food is just clean and simple as a general rule, but every once in a while, it's nice to push the envelope. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, and like I said, there's, there's ways to get past. I like the job thing is a great one. Cause for me, I'm, if I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, someone made me a nice meal. They put uh, mushrooms. I'm like, uh, just sort of, but I'm like, but I still can't sometimes just that gag reflex was, I'm like, stop it, stop it. You know, yeah. but you can't, uh, for me, I'm one of those people who genetically cilantro tastes like soap. And I, I, I don't know. You, like you try to tell someone they think you're just being fussy. And I'm almost like, take a cheese grater and grate a bar of soap over the food and then just eat around it. It's not, it's not possible. Like that's, I just, so tell them I'm, I'm not being picky. I just, that's what it tastes like. And that's, yeah, well, that's a, it's, it's uh scientifically proven. <laughs> I'm, I just made that up, but I mean, it's, it's <laughs> widely acknowledged that like five or 10% of the population thinks cilantro tastes like, yeah. soap. are so you one of the people who like, not- it's a love hate thing. People like it's you yeah, know, I, love I, it. I love it. I do love it. And it's a, it's a, I mean, I love one of the things that I, I talk about in my book and it, I didn't really talk about it in this way. And then I've realized it recently as, as I've been talking about the book, but there's a bunch of things that, that, um, I present a bunch of ingredients that are really like they cost pennies or dollars, you know, loonies at, at most, um, things like fresh herbs, Fresh parsley, fresh cilantro if you like it, uh, fresh mint, fresh chives. Um, also fresh 
citrus, so lemons, limes, oranges, and the zest that is attached to them that comes for free. Mm-hmm. Um, those two things in particular that, again, just cost pennies or loonies. Uh, oh, sorry. There are no pennies in Canada anymore, are there? Loony. You, got, got, you got kids remember them. pennies, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, those things can, can add so much brightness and fresh flavor uh, to a dish, and, and yet they're like almost free. And so there, there's so much that you can do in cooking that isn't really expensive that can really brighten the flavors. And those are just two examples of it. I just wanted to throw that in. No, absolutely. And, and, I, <laughs> I, I, no, and I love it. I wanted to ask something kind of along the lines of that too, is that, is there anything... I'm trying to figure out because by asking this, I almost jump ahead of one of my other questions, but is there anything that you would say is almost not worth buying the, the bear for, for, for I'll, I'll give you an example. I wanted to ask you, I'll, I'll ask this question again in a sec then is I wanted to ask you, what do you think of these meal kits? Cause that's the one that's kind of the big question. A lot of people have been like asked about these because I, I also want to get to the fact that you're part of, uh, of some foundations and some, some organizations that are about zero waste or, or reducing waste, uh, for food, which is huge for me. Um, uh-huh. cause I, I'm, I'm not interested in wasting personally. And one of the things that I kind of like about these meal kits is that they kind of portion. Now I don't know how they're doing it on the back end, so they could be 10 times worse in how they're doing it. But in terms of what I get at the door, having the, the right portions for meal is, is nice. So I wanted to ask your thoughts on that part two of what I was trying to get at is I've also had meal kits where they send me tomato paste and, you know, an onion and a, a little sack of, of spices and this and that. And all they're getting me to do is build a basic tomato sauce from scratch. So I guess the question, like, so I'm kind of like, Ooh, look how fancy I'm like, I could have bought a jar of Classico for $2 and it wouldn't have cost me $11 per portion, but it's just almost like, it's almost like the pizzazz of like, look, you made it. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't want to, I could have boiled these noodles and dropped the sauce in it. So I, I guess my, yeah. like I said, this, this, um, well, you, you ask a lot of really good questions there. Uh, so I'll pick the one I want to answer. Sure. Uh, and that is that, first of all, I've never, I've actually never ordered a meal kit uh, or, or seen one. I mean, I've seen, obviously I know what they are, but I, I've never used one. So I don't have any practical experience. And they're great. I do believe they're great from a food waste perspective. Uh, and there's no question that I don't think there's a lot of waste on the back end because otherwise they're not going to be making any money. But I will say that from an environmental perspective, there's an awful lot of plastic that arrives at your door and packaging. Mm-hmm. And that's you know a whole other story yeah, that's not food waste, but it's, it's waste. Um, but the real thing for me is that if you set your kitchen up, like I, here's the bottom line. I can make a fresh pasta from scratch in less time than it's going to take you to unpack your meal kit. Right. And here's the reason. Because I have my kitchen set up, so it's always at a ready. It's in a ready state of alert. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to. When I walk into my kitchen, I've got my most used tools right in front of me. I've got my cutting board in a spot where it always is. It's got a bit of a light on it, so it's you know I don't have to do anything there. I've got my dish towel hanging right beside where my cutting board is. I've got all my tools. So I walk into my kitchen. The second I'm in my kitchen, boom, I'm cooking. Right. I pull the stuff out of the fridge and I'm cooking. Yeah. And then the second thing is I cook, my style of cooking is like, I make shit fast. Like I'll make breakfast 
from start to finish in like three minutes. Like I really will. In fact, I, I have this stunt. It's on my, it's on my website, um, which is bobbloomer.com, by the way. Do it. Uh, uh, it's on my website somewhere in videos. Uh, and I hand someone a can of SpaghettiOs and then I have all the ingredients to make a fresh pasta from start. And I beat the, in the time it takes them to warm up, to open the can of SpaghettiOs with the can opener and heat them up to the point that they're bubbling. I have finished a fresh pasta yeah. from start. I've from shared scratch. that video several times this week. I loved it. Loved it. Um, so it's really like, and that's a bit of an, obviously an extreme example. But making scrambled eggs with a little grated cheese and some herbs and a little, maybe you start with like olive oil, dice up uh, a garlic and a shallot, put that in, maybe cut a piece of bacon crosswise, throw that in like three minutes for all that, for the bacon to render and the fat from the bacon to cook the garlic in the shallot. And, uh, and then you just throw in the eggs and some herbs and scratch it up, you know, like just move it around in the pan for two, two seconds because the pan's already hot from everything. In fact, often I'll turn the pan off at that point and let the scrambled eggs just sort of cook in the ambient temperature of the, the pan, which is hot. And, uh, and I started by putting a piece of toast in the toaster. And like, by the time the toast pops up, my eggs are done. So there's a lot you can do like that. And if, if it's not that fast, it's 20 minutes instead of four minutes or whatever. And so, for me, cooking – and I, by the way, I do that for myself when I'm eating alone because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I don't want to start cooking all by myself. It's really – it's a headspace. And if you get your head into the space of I can set my kitchen up in a way that it run, it's efficient so I don't have to spend time setting things up before I cook. And then I can have the kinds of ingredients in my fridge or my larder, my pantry um, or in the freezer uh, – that are all good to go. So I have lots of options and you know, I can be spontaneous about certain flavors, right. Um, adding certain flavors and building some quick layer, very fast layers of flavors. Um, once you wrap your head around that, and I think that ultimately that is a bit of a subtext for the first half of my book. Um, once you wrap your head around that, you can make meals really, really quickly from scratch and, and you don't need to buy the meal kits. Absolutely. Well, and that's what I liked about it was because I, I remember I haven't, uh, I got a couple, you know, black Friday free kits. So I tried a few of them. Cause like I said, I wanted to kind of get back into cooking, but, uh, a great comic from out, out, uh, West has a bit about, you know, going to the groceries. No, you try a meal that you love and then you, you know, like you're at the grocery store trying to reverse engineer tacos and buy all the different things and, you know, sure. and, and quantities, you know, like, so that was something that I, I really respected, uh, about the first part It's not just like, Hey, here's how you make it. Cause again, a lot of cookbooks, just here's the ingredients. You need this, you need that. And then go make, well, you're like, well, what about all these leftovers that I now have? So you address that by offering solutions, by creating oils and things with leftover herbs, you know, some of the, uh, basically creating your own like little, uh, butter stock cubes where you're just like, yeah, take that, freeze it throw it in the pan. I'm not trying to give away all the secrets Buy the book. All right. Buy the book. You're not getting all the answers, but, uh, but it's it, a lot of really cool ways that made me more comfortable with wanting to go out and buy these ingredients to make stuff at home, because now I have a solution to the waste. And at the same time, it's not just like, Oh, I'm, well, I'm hemorrhaging, you know, throwing money away because I bought, you know, 80% of it's going to go to waste. I don't need it for this. meal. Right. So, well, here's the, here's a really good example. Um, this, go, this is right along with, well, it is actually herbs anyway, but it's right along with the, the using citrus and, and um uh fresh herbs and that is i make a once a week i'll make a an herb sauce so i'm always buying like 
again, mint and cilantro or parsley or whatever. And like halfway through the week when I'm not going to use all that up, I take all the leftover herbs. I throw them in my blender. I'll put a, a squeeze of lemon juice. I'll take a garlic clove and throw it in and, uh, and some olive oil and I'll hit it and blend it all up. And if I'm really feeling adventurous, I'll throw in maybe a tablespoon of capers and or a couple of anchovies and um, all of which can last in your fridge forever. So you just have them on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, hit blend. And then you've got this amazing kind of green sauce and herb sauce that took you two minutes to make. It'll last for at least a week. And, um, and you can make anything. You could grill any protein like a, um, just a, a chicken breast or some shrimp or uh, a piece of fish or pan sear it or whatever. So basically you can just take a chicken breast out of the fridge, pan sear it. So cook it in the pan like a hamburger, basically just mm-hmm. five, three, four minutes aside. Then spoon this green sauce over top and all of a sudden you've got like phenomenal flavor. And that green sauce will or even on roasted vegetables or roasted potatoes or anything like that. And it just adds a whole other layer and dimension to your food. Yet it took you two minutes to make last, you know, at the beginning of the week and you can use it five different ways. Nice. I think that works. One of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, about some of these blending things is uh, I have a, (laughs) I have a Vitamix, but that thing will go insane certain blending. And I actually just bought, they had an attachment out for it with a food processor, top on that. Yeah. So now I can, and it's, it's limiting the speed and everything like that. So there, there's value to both, right? Like if you just need a, a basic blender or anything like that, like, do you, do you use any of those kind of things? Are you like strict food processor for, for some of the blending? No, options? I have a blender because you can't make, um, a frozen cocktail with a food processor and frozen cocktails are very important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there's certain things that blenders work better for and then certain things like a pesto that you can't use a blender for because you need to put in way too much oil to get it all blended up. Like a food processor kind of chops or finely chops or almost purees things, but a blender need and it can do that from dry ingredients. Right. Uh, a blender needs liquids. And so if you're not putting it in, you know, which is why it's great for cocktails and frozen cocktails, but if you're not putting it a significant amount of liquid in, uh, it won't do its job. Okay. So it is, I, you know, I just bought a blender for 40. I actually bought a beautiful, like old school Osterizer blender, new, you know, modern version of it, but for like 40 or 50 bucks online. That's awesome. They're, they're, yeah, they're not expensive and you can even get old ones. I used to have an old Osterizer blender that I bought at a garage sale for 20 bucks. It worked perfectly. Yeah. And, and that was another section of the book that I loved. You just had a little section of just things you can get for the kitchen under 15 bucks. Like another thing I enjoy just every, you know, a, a section on, you know, great uses for your phone in the kitchen. You know well, I mean? again, this, this, this book is really, it's the distillation. Don't mind my phone. No, it's okay. There was a uh, 90% chance that would have happened on my end. <laughs> I'll just wait till it goes. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, is it okay? Fair. I was trying to protect someone's number potentially. <laughs> so this book is really, it's the distillation of my life's journey in the food world. So it's, it's 30 years of experience and 30 years of little things that I've learned that 
individually may not really, you know, you couldn't hang your hat on it, but when you put together the important guy. <laughs> oh, that's actually a friend of mine, but I'm not going to answer. Oh, no worries. I dig the tune though. <laughs> it's like a little Christmassy. I mean, it's Christmas season now, but it's always like that. <laughs> Busy right. man. Again, um, it makes me more grateful to have, uh, to have your time. Um, you were saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically all of the stuff that you've learned and that you're sharing with us. Oh, yeah. And so you, you know, individually, none of the tips that I give you are enough to hang your hat on for a book, but, but collectively from my 30 years of traveling the world, I've learned so much stuff. You put it all together in, the, in one section of a book. And I, if I may be so bold, there's a lot of useful information <laughs> in oh, there. It was great. Like I said, I've, I've spent probably a, the last 15 years, I've been more interested in, in getting out of the things that I, you know, have a dislike for and, and widening my, my horizons for food, but also wanting to cook more. It's intimidating. It's really intimidating because like you're talking about temperatures of meat and, and, and different heat levels and everything like that. And, and you know, this kind of taste and that kind of taste. So, I mean, I guess for me, because I grew up without something who was cooking a lot. So for me, it's intimidating to be like, well, I'm going to buy this $40 steak and I'm just going to throw it on fire and hope I don't fuck it up <laughs> for lack of a better term. Right. And again, someone in the arts and entertainment in Canada, it's like, yeah, we don't have money to throw around on steaks. Shouldn't have bought the steak if I was going to get it right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but at the same time to mess it up is like a disaster. So it, it's intimidating. So to be able to sit down and look at something where it's kind of like, it's being, fair it's the right information it's not pretentious right because you can lose for me you can lose me if you make me feel like i don't even belong in this world why did i open up this book you know what i mean that's the part where i'm like okay i'm checked out I, at no point that i feel like i'm walking down a road that i shouldn't be on you know what i mean right. go back and read the the beginner's cookbook or watch a youtube video no this was like no this is the i'm getting the pro insider information and it's accessible is the word that i'm looking for it made it it made it fun and it made it accessible which I think is important for anything that's trying to convey information of any kind. Right. Well, thank so, you. I'm oh, glad that it's resonating. Oh, absolutely. And I just wanted to, uh, I know we're getting close to our hour here. I wanted to ask you about the, the, I guess, foundations we call them, or at least the initiatives. Uh, you have the second harvest and the love food, hate waste. I'd love to know more about those if you don't mind sharing them. Cause that's important. Sure. Right? Uh, well, so I've been an ambassador for second harvest for about 10 years and uh, second harvest is a, is a really interesting organization. It's now a national, it started off in Toronto, but now it's national. Um, and it started, uh, I'm going to say about 20 years ago, if not more. Um, and it's, uh, they rescue food that would otherwise be thrown out for the most part. And they rescue it from any, anywhere from big catering organizations to, uh, uh, places like the food terminal, uh, and even uh, producers who might mistakenly label something or whatever. And so they get all this, they get all the food for free. They pick it up, they warehouse it, turn it around within 48 hours, and then deliver it to uh, somewhere between three and 400 organizations that either repurpose the food as meals or just distribute it. And so ultimately, they're a trucking and logistics company. They get all this food for free. They just have to collect it, which is a big task. But I mean, they collect it, they turn it around and deliver it. And consequently, it only costs about 50 cents a meal 
to feed somebody because it's just in the trucking and logistics. Mm -hmm. The food itself was free. So it's an amazing organization. Uh, they, there are variations of that organization all over the world. It's, uh, it's not a new concept, but they do it exceptionally well. And they've been expanding. And it's certainly during the pandemic, there are more and more people who need just an extra helping hand right now. And they've risen to the occasion. So uh, I'm really proud to have been part of that organization for, uh, for the last 10 years. Uh, and then uh, Love Food, Hate Waste is a national uh, Canadian zero waste initiative. And they're, uh, I mean, here's the easiest way to describe th what they're trying to do. Ten years ago, uh, if you exited a grocery store with six or eight plastic bags, you wouldn't have thought about it for a second, right? It's right. just what we did. Yeah. Went to the grocery store, they gave us plastic bags, we left. Now you, we determined that that's, that's bad and that you know the billions of plastic bags are being thrown into the landfill every year. So now we're in the habit of bringing reusable bags to the grocery store. And so the same phenomena – a phenomena of waste and filling landfills has existed with uh, food waste. In other words, we, we tend to not think about it and just waste food, little scraps, that last eighth of an onion and stuff like that. And only recently have we become aware of the fact that though all that extra food waste that we throw out and we might put it in the green bin and think we're doing a good job, but the truth is we're not doing a good job. Mm -hmm. We should be reusing it because so much food that's such a big percentage of the food that's produced is, is not consumed, but it's thrown out. So making consumers aware of the problem is just like it, it was 10 years ago with, with plastic bags. The mm -hmm. first thing, the first step in the solution is to make, um, you know, people in the country aware of the fact that this is a problem that they may not have even contemplated. And then the second step is providing them with creative uses or creative solutions to the problem. And those solutions are basically like figure out ways to use it up, right? Yeah. Repurpose it, do something else to it, freeze it, whatever you're doing, uh, be, get creative about it. And uh, as a bonus, you're saving money and, um, you know, saving landfills, and all that. So, and it's not really very hard. You just have to stop and think. And the way, here's how I think about it. I have, I always pretend there's a surveillance camera in my kitchen. And I think, what would people think if they saw me throwing out all this food that's really good? And then I go, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just wrap this up and I'll figure out a way to use it. Yeah. So that's, no, that's what that organization is all about. No, and those are two great organizations. I'll actually put the, uh, there's ways for other people to get involved in, in things like that too, right? If I put for the sure. links to the organizations. Sure. But you know what? It's, it's mindfulness is really the, for love, food, hate, waste and zero waste. It's just mindfulness. That's the most important way to get involved. It's like, yeah. you know, global warming is a hard thing to stop at, in the big picture, but mm. uh, zero waste and, and reducing your, you know, food waste in your own home. Easy peasy. Oh yeah. I think I can't even remember the last number that I saw in terms of like what percentage of food is thrown out. Like it's, it's staggeringly high. It's not like a 10% of food, 20%. It's something like 50% of food. That it is. It's, I mean, you know, not all of that, not all of that happens in the household. Some of it happens on the farm where they plow under the ugly fruits and vegetables because mm -hmm. no one will buy them. It happens in the transportation system. It happens at the grocery store level, but a huge percent of it does happen at home. And that's, completely or not completely, but mostly completely avoidable. Yeah. 
No, and that's and and it's great. So I, I I'm going to look into them myself and see if there's something to do. I wonder if the uh, the second harvest would actually. I I would imagine they're not they're not taking household extras. I think it's probably no, they, large. They they don't, but, but, you know, you can trade with your neighbors. If you, it's about being proactive too. It's don't allow yourself to be in a position where it's Friday and you bought something on Monday and now you realize it's, it's, it's no good anymore. Like on Tuesday, if you're not, if you don't think you're going to use it, put it in the freezer yeah. or whatever the case is. You know, if you've got herbs, like chop them up with some butter, you know, like mince them up with some butter and then put that in the fridge and you've got an herb butter, whatever. There's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. Don't just let it go. Cause you're not going to use it. There's ways to preserve it and, and things like that. Exactly. No, and that's, that's, you know, the book. people are creative. They're often frugal by nature. And those are the two, those are the two, the two things you need to be creative and frugal. And then you can, you'll, and aware if you're those three things, then you're well on your way to reducing your food yeah. waste. Well, what, what's the uh, what's the phrase that I've got half of in my head? Uh, necessity is the uh, <laughs> another invention. Thank you. That's I'm like I know it. Why can't I go? Yeah, necessity is, and that's that's exactly where it comes from. Like, it's nice to see that there's people. As much as we we tease, well, I tease millennials. One of the things that at least they seem to have going right is that they they seem to be more conscious and socially responsible for things like that, which is a great thing to see. Like I I actually had lunch with someone yesterday who got mad. Like, I mean, I, she got upset that they put two, uh, plastic straws on the table. I wasn't going to use it anyways, but it was just, she's like, ugh, single use plastics. <laughs> and she's yeah, a friend no, of mine in her twenties. And I was just like, and she was just, it was just, but it was interesting to see because it's something I don't use straw. I actually, the comic and me made fun of her right away. I go, check this out. I've actually taught myself how to drink strawless. And I picked up my class. <laughs> Never needed one. Never needed one. Look at me go. And at one point she had mentioned too, there was a uh, vases with, uh, with, uh, flowers in them. She's like, look how long those stems are. Now she was just mentioning how long I go. Can you believe how much useless water consumption and feeding a stem that long, just teasing her. But, but it's cool to see that, that, you know, I mean, and, and I hope it's not too late for the, the newer generations, but it's it's cool to see that they're actually aware. Like I said, if you, if you thought about it, like if there was a camera on me and all the waste, well, to them, it's I wasn't even thinking about it, right? I wasn't going to use it, but for them to just see it and immediately, it's it's you know, uh, yeah, a it's a different headspace, and it's yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I won't uh, I won't keep you any longer, my friend. This was this was great, and I could have talked to you for so long. You're so easy to talk to, so fun. <laughs> I wish the, that the, I wish that the audience could have seen you know because there's times where you sort of like just lean back and you can see a kind of reminiscing on something. It was great. I wish I could have shared that with them. You guys are going to have to just get the audio version. So if there was ever any little pauses, just know that there was something really cool going on. The wheels <laughs> were turning and I was super excited uh, to do it. So uh, Bob, I really appreciate uh, you spending the time with me. Thank you so much. Your new book uh, is called flavor bomb. It's out for the holidays. If you guys have a, a would be chef or somebody who's just looking to kick things up, I, I truly have never uh, read a cooking book, half read. I read the first half and <laughs> I read, I will be playing with the, uh, the recipes, but if you, I, I've never read a book that was so, uh, informative, it had hacks, it had some fun stuff and just teaching you kind of how to go out there and take some chances, right? The rogue, uh, the rogues guide, right? Do some road cooking. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Bob, especially during the holiday season. Really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me and for sharing this all with your audience. I really appreciate it. Couldn't be happier to do it. Thank you.